Okay, well, welcome everyone to Straight Talk. So glad you're here with us today. And I'm one of the co-hosts, Dr. Van Gaten, along with Dr. Dennis Golfin. I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, the warm weather. Uh, Dr. Dennis Golfin, he's in North Carolina. So, But anyhow, before we get started, we have several that are on the show. Reverend Tom Benz, Reverend Lou Gosler, Bishop Sterling Lands. But today we have a special guest, thank God, that mm -hmm. God has been good to us today because we have a professor with us today. Uh, her name is Elaine Buchanan, and uh, I'm gonna allow her to give the details to her, her own expression, where she is, uh, what school she's at, and her home and family and husband and children, child, I should say. And uh, we're so glad to have you here this today, Elaine. Thank you so very much for having me. It's such a privilege to be with, uh, with all of you. Um, so my name is Elaine Buchanan, and I am part of an active duty Army family. So my husband is an active duty Army chaplain. So we have lived in different places around the country. We started off in Washington State, then moved to Hawaii, then to North Carolina, back to Hawaii, and now we're back in Washington State. And uh, so we're all very grateful to, uh, to serve our nation in this way. Um, both my husband and I are ordained ministers with the Assemblies of God, and, um, and I did earn a PhD in Second Temple Jewish Literature and History. Ooh. Most people are more familiar with the term intertestamental period, and yeah. so, um, and I did that because I love biblical theology, and I love biblical interpretation, and in order to do biblical theology, you have to be able to do biblical interpretation. And um, that is something that was missing from my background. So I did my PhD in that because I already had a decent grasp of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I needed that time period. And let's see what else. Oh, we have a human child who is in elementary school. He's starting third grade in a couple of weeks. And we also have a dog child who is nine months old. And I think wow. that's it. Yes. Wow. Well, thank you for that, Elaine. And I also, a uh, couple of friends that you might be interested in since it's uh, your uh, Second Temple Jewish literature is your specialty. You ever heard of Dr. Jamal Hopkins? I have. Or how about Dennis Michael uh, Heiser? Yes, I they have. Had, they're in the same field, and you're the only three I know in that field. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but a uh, lot to learn. There's a lot we can learn from all three of you. And I really, really appreciate you being on the show today. Dennis, you want to say anything before we start? Um, thank you, Van. I just wanted to say that we want to welcome all of our Facebook viewers this morning. They're signing in and uh, welcoming them to the show. Uh, we want to thank God, too, for this panel that we've set up. Uh, the five of us is be are becoming a regular, so we thank God for that. And also want to uh, welcome Dr. Buchanan with us today. We look forward to having a woman on the show so it didn't look like we were male chauvinists. So uh, thank God for that. And um, looking for an exciting show today. So uh, Van, you want to let the other guys kind of introduce themselves? Yes. Uh, why don't we start with uh, Lou Gosleth and just jump around at will. Just introduce yourself. Then I'll come back to Elaine and we'll start our first. We'll propose uh, to find a little testimony about this whole conversation with her as well. So Lou, if you introduce yourself again. Okay, Lou Gosleth, live in Kissimmee, Florida. Uh, the shirt kind of shows that I'm in Florida. And uh, part of Destiny Ministries, just love Jesus and glad to be here with you all. 
Tom. Tom Benz. I am, uh, um, was raised, educated, and ordained a United Methodist. And then I um, defected from Methodism and have been doing uh, transdenominational work since age 28, which was a little while ago. And uh, spent the last 20 plus years um, founding and leading an organization called Bridges of Faith, which um, targets Ukrainian orphans. We have worked with those kids in almost every way you can imagine. And at this point, the centerpiece of our work is to bring groups of those kids to the United States to give them a great Christian camp experience, to give, help them, let them experience family life. And then most of them, we are not an adoption agency, but most of those kids do find forever homes and families, which of course we want them to know Jesus and we want to have the solutions for their lives that they need. So I'm in Alabama, <clears throat> not close to like. That sounds like true religion, Tom. True religion. <laughs> and undefiled. And undefiled. <laughs> <laughs> Sterling Lands, the bishops in the house from Africa. <laughs> I'm Sterling Lands. I'm uh, in Austin, Texas. I'm a part of the Family Life International Fellowship. And um, I'm just glad to be here. I'm married for 56 years. We have two sons, 10 grandkids. And... Uh, I'm looking and expecting 56 more. Oh, amen. Amen. That's longevity if I've ever heard of it. Yes. Well, listen, <clears throat> I, I want to begin this conversation around the idea, at least for me. <clears throat> and Lou, you were there, but, uh, you know, let's go back to George Floyd. And maybe that is a common point for us to start from. Uh, I must admit, I was laying in bed last night thinking about our conversation today. And, um, you know, I, it, it seemed to have been a turning point in my life, a real D-Day, uh, uh, Rubicon experience uh, that indeed something's of significance took place on that day that's earmarked people all over the globe. And uh, that has be, put me on a quest, if it were, as you will, uh, that has turned out to be quite an experience for all of us as we pass through the vicissitudes behind all of this as believers. And so <clears throat> the issue of equality, social justice uh, was just sparked in a new way uh, through George Floyd. And I'm gonna ask um, Elaine to probably share why, why she would wanna get involved in all of this and uh, uh, what God is speaking to her and what she thinks is God has to say to all of us. Elaine, go ahead and introduce yourself on that subject. Okay. All right. So um, God has placed in my heart ever since I was young to care about all people. And that has been shaped and formed and honed over time. Um, I, the Probably one of the first times that I really, really remember learning more and digging deeper into um, cultural and racial type issues was when I was in seminary and I had a friend who um, grew up uh, in a redline area and I had never ever heard of redlining, never. And so we sat down and he talked about it because I had no idea. But I was one of maybe two people who were willing to sit and to listen. And I learned from that point on that there's so much that I don't know 
um, that I don't understand, that I will never ever be able to fully relate to because um, number one, I just don't know. I want to know, but I don't know. Uh, and number two, my life experience is just very, very different. And so over the past several years, I've focused a lot um, on, on listening. Um, yes, I have made some very big public mistakes. There was one time, I want to say three years ago, where, um, where I, I had a student who asked if I, under, if I understood what it was like to be treated as less than and if I understood what it was like to um, not have opportunities. And I said, yes, I did. I did not give an explanation of that, but it was taken by some as though I was trying to say that I completely understand and I completely relate. Uh, and the reality is I don't. I don't know what it's like to live day in and day out wondering if my kid's gonna come home safe or if I'm gonna be pulled over. Um, that's not part of, of my makeup. That's not part of my life. And so I, I did the public apology. I did personal apologies and all of that. But thank God, I have several, several friends who are minorities who said, you know what? We understand you, Elaine. We understand what you were trying to say. Here's a better way to do it. Here are some books to read. And I think um, for, for those of us who are majorities, it would be so wise for us to be willing to listen to someone say, you know what? You're really wrong about this. Um, or you just don't know about these things. And here are some resources or here's a better way to say it. So that way you can be uh, heard and understood better. Now, when George Floyd happened, um, and with Ahmaud Aubrey too, and also Breonna Taylor in particular, there is no mistaking that what happened was wrong. It was evil. <laughs> it never, ever, ever should have happened. Um, and I think that that, because it was so clear and it was so wide out in the open, it's unmistakable that these things have been happening for generations. We just don't always see it. And so I think this has been a large eye-opener for some people. It has increased denial in some people as well. Uh, but what I'm hoping is that those who are just now joining and trying to understand and trying to learn, I hope they stick around. Uh, I hope this isn't just a um, a couple of months thing, and then we're going to go back to, to the way things were. I really, really hope that people understand the necessity of loving other people, of treating other people with dignity and respect. And I think that that's something that many of us uh, who are Christians have really missed the boat on. Mm. Thank you, Elaine. And I think that you, uh, well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, we need you to come back and explain to our audience what is redlining. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if there's a great knowledge of that out there publicly, but at the same time, also, I think your, your story highlights to us that being black and white, um, we have a different perspective. We have two stories and we who are black have grown up in Western civilization. So we know basically your story mm -hmm. because whoever is the minority has to understand the majority in order to survive. That's right. And now we, at this case, there's the need for the majority to sit and listen to the minority 
Otherwise, we have a very myopic view of what's going on. I call it uh, uh, Malcolm and Martin. They had, Mel Martin taught the American dream. Malcolm X taught the American nightmare. And, uh, but there's two stories and two sides. They're in it. So Elaine, Elaine, before I let you go, would you explain to our audience redlining and then we'll move it on from there? Um, the basics of redlining is basically that there are certain portions of a city that are designated for certain groups of people, um, essentially. So there is uh, maybe part of one city that is really designated and it is meant for, say, white people, um, like strictly white people. But then there's a line, uh, essentially, that happens. And on the other side of that line, that's where minorities, usually mostly Blacks, uh, blacks live. And that's why um, some, we, we have this term, you know, living on the right side of the tracks. Essentially, that's what redlining is. It's which side of the tracks do you live on? And can you cross that track? Um, and if you do cross that track, what are the ramifications? What are the consequences of that? And it's this still happens. It, even, I was reading maybe last week, Seattle, just an hour away from us. It's there too. It's in my own community. It's, it's everywhere. And I just don't think people realize that that is intentional, that it's there on purpose. So, yeah. So in other words, ghettos are planned communities. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sterling, you need to jump in on this little subject right here because you're the man. Actually, um, there isn't very much I can say about redlining. Um, I, I think that um, Elaine has, has actually dealt with it in its fundamental form. Yes. Uh, bank, banks are notorious for redlining in that they take a map and they draw a red line around a certain area and they will not loan money to those individuals that will enable them to get out of there. Yes. All right, well, uh, who else wants to share today? You know, I, I thought today ought to be a moment too where Dennis, and, and this is just my input, I thought this today would be a good day in light of all the discussions that we really bear our hearts to each other to say, what is our desire? What are we wanting to accomplish? What are we wanting each other and others to know about us? Uh, what's our whole modus vivendi, our way of life. What, what are we about? What are we trying to accomplish? And who are we that we're wanting people to accept us, embrace us, love us? And so we, I think a moment to just bear our souls to each other would be real important for the uh, process of reconciliation that so desperately needs to happen, that we hear each other. This, uh, this is just totally important that we really hear each other from our heart. So, I'd, like, I'd like to pick up on that. I, right. I, I heard something that um, uh, Elaine said that really caught my attention when she talked about uh, timing, duration of commitment. It reminds me that um, in the early 60s, uh, liberal white activists in the civil rights movement were told that if they were really serious about civil rights, they must not continue trying to save black communities 
but must face the necessity of going back into their own white communities and working with white folks where the problem really was. And many, many liberal whites, uh, and I know some of them uh, on a first name basis, many liberal whites deserted the movement. I mean, suddenly uh, exhibiting negative prejudice toward a movement they had formally endorsed. Um, some of us were left high and dry without resources to support uh, where we were trying to get to, particularly in a movement uh, that I happen to have been uh, the spearhead of in St. Louis, um, out in the um, University City area, which we were only a few blocks separated from the Klan's headquarter in Pagedale. Mm -hmm. Instead of changing, <clears throat> instead of changing their behavior, uh, when new data became available, they perceived the new data as constituting a false analysis and then used that as a rationale for leaving the movement. To them, it was a cause. For us, it was life or death. And they, were, they switched their attention to the environment. Let's save the uh, golden cheek wobbler. Let's Let's make sure that we don't eat uh, flipper. Um, and so uh, it was just interesting that you would make that mention because I, I think you're so spot on. Um, we're, we're in danger right now of having this thing blow over as soon as the next big thing hits that catches the attention of those individuals you see. Uh, you know, when racist prejudice of the majority group in a society is reinforced by the culture, and institutions of that society, then the prejudice becomes racism. But when you mention that, as long as you're embraced by that society and they don't have to really do any of the hard work of going back in and, and dismantling white supremacy and systemic racism, they're okay. But the moment the assignment, uh, the, the, the anvil uh, swings the opposite direction and they have to now go back and do the work, there are reasons why suddenly it becomes untenable. So I just want to thank you um, for, for, for that. You, uh, you really caught my full attention on that. Mm -hmm. Anybody else want to jump in at this time? Yeah, I mean, I've got a, a variety of thoughts. I mean, so many things have already been raised. I, I know, uh, Elaine, my, my, my journey into the issue, um, it's, it started with Charlottesville. And after that, um, scouring the internet, looking for an evangelical response, which I couldn't find, mm -mm. that troubled me deeply as an evangelical. I mean, I, why are we not speaking into this? Uh, I, I, I see that it also was coupled in, in my mind with um, evangelical selling out for political power, and, and I, I guess a, a vivid example of that for me was when the locker room recordings were exposed, mm -hmm. and, and there was no evangelical response to that. I mean, it, it was all just glossed over as, and instead of, I could, I, could have, I could have managed evangelical leaders saying, 
we abhor this stance, we, we abhor this language, we abhor these attitudes. These are in direct contradiction to the teachings of Christ. It is not who we are. However, we still believe this man should be president. I mean, it would still be hard for me, but, but I, 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 would, I could have coped with having some kind of evangelical response to that, which there was none. And so the evangelical failure um, launched me. And I, 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 I'm sorry to say that in the time between Charlottesville and the George Floyd incident, that kind of died down in me, Sterling. I, it died down. Yeah. But, but with the George Floyd incident, then, oh my gosh, then I, I found myself um, electrified again and searching for what to do. And I, 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 I I hear people as I talk about this just throughout my life with the people I, I come in contact with, I will always come to this point in the conversation where the, the people say, so, so, so what, what do we do about that? How do we fix that? I mean, what are you suggesting? And, and there are some things. I mean, I, I think if we had federal re reviews of, of every person who's killed by police gunfire, I think that would be a, a, a good move. Uh, and there are things like that, that that I think we could do. But I really believe that the only way the issue will be solved is in the words of um, um, unnamed black lady on the street, a CNN reporter poked his microphone in her face and, and she, in the, during the protest following George Floyd. And, and she said, if you're white and you've never had a black friend, make one. If you're black and you never had a white friend, make one. I don't think this is ever going to be resolved until we intentionally cultivate relationships. We intentionally listen. You use the word listen. And, and as I'm going to, to black leaders now and I'm going intentionally to black churches and I explain I'm here to listen, once, they, once the black people in that situation understand, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to... I'm here to listen, then all of a sudden walls come down and there's a lot of understanding and there's a lot of, of, of rapport. And I'm a person, I, I was raised in a white environment, but from college on, I have had close black friends, but I never got it. I mean, Van and I have been close friends for, I mean, God knows how long, good night. Too long. <laughs> 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 and and but but I never got it, and I, I feel like I still don't really get it. But I'm listening, and I want to understand. It's like Van pointed out: if if the majority the majority has to listen and has to learn the black experience, because unless we go out of our way to do that, it won't happen. We need I'm to Lou, intentionally. I'm sorry. Listen. Okay, Lou. Before you jump in, I just want to say from our audience, um, you know, listening and learning, uh, philosophers call it your plausibility structure, plausibility structure, which means you really do listen to understand, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with what you heard, but you understand where the person is coming from. And you, you can recite it back, you hear their hype, you have empathy for them. And that's really important that we're not good listeners. I mean, I mean, probably 
my wife would tell you, I, you know, I've been married for 50 years and she says, uh, you're, you're almost listening. You're, you're almost listening. And so I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, I get my plausibility structure is increasing. And uh, so Lou, jump in there and let's see what you got to say. Yeah, so you mentioned the verse, pure religion and undefiled before God and Father is to visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction, keep himself unspotted from the world. A friend of mine, that's kind of a life verse for him. He pointed out, it doesn't say to go preach to them, it says to go visit them. And so thinking of those who are more um, in need under pressure, misused, abused, and all that stuff that we're talking about, we really need to, the thought of visit is the thought of listening. I think that's a key. Mm. And uh, through George Floyd, one of the things that I think it just brought it to everyone's attention. And I don't believe God's going to let it go away this time. I think God is after something here. And it's our responsibility to be part of the solution. And I think that's one reason the Lord laid it on your hearts to have straight talk to get the word out because people need to hear. If we don't hear, we just don't have enough. We don't have an idea what's really going on unless we listen and hear what's really going on. And then we can say, Oh, wow. I'm so, yeah, I see that obviously. Mm. And then it can all change. Now, one other thought, um, years ago, there was a group out West actually that they had a, a teaching in the church about unity and the thought was when one person clap when the leader claps everybody should clap they call it total body function and uh and the thought was that unity is based on uniformity that when one does it everybody does it and i real somehow that just never quite set and uh mm -hmm. realizing that unity is based on diversity when my when my body is a totally in unity but when my arm is moving, my foot isn't moving necessarily. I mean, each part's doing something different. And so God has given us tremendous diversity in the human race. But it's his plan. It's his thought. He loves it. And we need to love it. And once we get that, I think a lot of this garbage will go away. Mm. Well, Lou, you're right in calling it garbage because that's really what is going on. And Dennis, the role of the church in the middle of all this, as Sterling brought down, that we, we got to keep the momentum going. We got to, uh, you know, uh, I know you're a great churchman, Dennis. So uh, your thought about the role of the church in the midst of all this is needed. <laughs> well, I don't know about being such a great churchman, man. But <laughs> I do know that you and I came together to start uh, this straight talk so we could raise the issue. Um, especially not only in society, but in the church community. And I think that what, what I see happening right now, and I'm glad we're continuing this conversation, is that we're in the midst of this becoming a fad. And so it could fade. And if we're not careful to keep the flame alive, I think we're going to be in danger. So the straight talk to me is about keeping this alive so it doesn't become faddish and just fall off the scene. And then we don't see, hear any more about it for another 20 years. Because I think that's what we're in danger of right now. We've got to keep the flame burning. And then part of the reason of those protests going on and on and on is the fact that the flame didn't die out. And I think that what we're seeing in this whole idea, uh, I came up 
in, um, in, in this redlining community, even from a business standpoint, uh, my business was redlined in terms of uh, things happening. I had to hire Caucasian people to promote my business. I became nationwide with the accounting business I have because I hired Caucasians who went out in front of me and got me business that I wouldn't have had if I went out with my face. So I stayed in my office, sent them out. My business became nationwide. It, it was interesting. And even to the point when I went in and people began to understand that I owned the business, they couldn't comprehend that I owned a nationwide consulting business. Mm -hmm. But it was, uh, it was interesting. And even the travels and things I've done as a clergyman to get around. But I don't want to talk too much because we got a guest here. I want to hear more of Elaine and what Lloyd's. But let me just mention this. The Shema in Hebrew is, is not only about hearing, but it's about obedience. Because there isn't a word in Hebrew for obedience. It's just Shema. When you hear, you obey. You respect the person who's talking and you obey what they're saying. So here we are, Shema. We get back to, to Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and 5. And, and we, we, we got to hear. And so we're, we're not, and, and, and I think somebody mentioned about the fact, we're not really, really listening. We need to listen to each other. I agree with Lou. There is unity in diversity. We don't all have to do the same thing. I think this panel is diverse as we can find it. And so, but we are coming together to get to become a unified voice. Van? Well, I, I think it's time to let Elaine back in. So we got two ears to listen, one mouth to talk. Let's, <laughs> let's just close our mouth and let open our ears and let Elaine, um, you know, instruct us. Instruct <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, actually, is it okay if I ask ask you all a question because I am still very much in learning mode about all of this? Um, okay, so I am very aware that as a, as a white female, I am in a position of power. Uh, whether I see that, understand that, whatever, I, 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 I understand that that is a reality. One of the things that I have noticed is that because I am a female and in a position of power, I am the biggest threat possible to the, uh, to the black community in particular, because I can take what someone says, I can twist it, I can use it for my own benefit, I can step away whenever I want to, um, I can do all kinds of things. And I work very, very, very hard to be the opposite of that. Um, and I know that all I can do is say, um, I'm here, I'm willing to listen, if you're willing to share. If I'm able to stand up for you, I will. But what else can I do? And when I say, can I do, I'm talking about heart and soul work here because that's where it starts. And then it comes out in actions. What can I and people like me be doing with our hearts and our souls to really conform more to Christ's heart when it comes to loving other people the way we love ourselves? Mm. Anyone trying to take a stab mm -hmm. at that? I think while we're thinking, because you asked a very profound question there, Elaine, uh, just give you a little, uh, I was out walking, doing my prayer walk, power walk, trying to help get in shape physically <laughs> yesterday. And two white girls were ahead of me in the development 
in which I live. And they happened to look back at me. I said, I said to them, I said, I'm not following you. I'm just out walking, you know? And she said, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, please don't call the cops now. Please don't do that. <laughs> don't call the cops now because I, you know, I realized as I stood there that I was in a predicament of I needed to turn around and go the other way or, or they needed to understand where I was coming because they had the power to just get on the phone and say, he's following me. And the next thing you know, I'm not on straight talk. I'm on, I'm in straight bars. <laughs> if there, uh, the other thing is when it comes to uh, whether it was loans for minority or affirmative action, that somehow that ended up more so in the laps of white women uh, than even blacks. And that became a problem. Um, so it, it, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's like the daughters of the Confederacy. They, at the death of their husbands and sons and brothers, they just got together and quietly went to work to establish the statutes in America of the Confederacy the Memorial. And so there's a lot of silent, not always so public work, uh, that their hearts went out for those who, because it was a noble cause to them. And I think in this, as Dennis brought up, we don't want this whole thing to fade out. And it takes all of us that this has got to be uh, like our raison d'etre. This is our reason for living. This is what we live and die for. And everybody has to do on the issue of social injustice, whatever they are gifted to do. And I'm not, I'm not sure that I understand exactly, Elaine, what you should do. But I do know one thing. By being a part of this show, just being a part of this show uh, is a step in the right direction. And I think we're, I think we're, on, a, we're on a path to discovery as a group that is diverse yet unified. I think God will unveil to us the way we should go, the things we should do, the opportunities that he will present to each one of us. And it will take each one of us to fulfill God's desire in the earth. But we've got to be committed wholeheartedly. We got, as Tom, Tom mentioned to me about counting the cost. We got to count the cost mm -hmm. and say, listen, uh, let's do this together. And as Sterling brought out, we cannot separate from each other. I don't want anybody white on this panel to walk away from me because, you know, I'm strange, so I still do drive-by shootings. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's stay together with each other. By the way, I don't own a gun. I don't own a gun. Um, <laughs> Sterling does, but I don't. <laughs> but, you know, let's stay together. I, I, I own many guns. You own many, <laughs> you own many guns. <laughs> But uh, I think that's, uh, Elaine, you've asked a question that we can all apply to ourselves. That Yeah, uniquely to FEMA, because, you know, was it yesterday, Elaine, that we celebrated the 100th anniversary of women having the right to vote? Yes. So when we but think white women, that, yes. Again? I said white women, yes. White women, white women. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Elaine, I know all about white women. I got one <laughs> in my house right over here. <laughs> Years I've been married to this white woman for years. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, we, we live in a nation where I think we have to, I think we have to even do research to make sure we're voicing the right stuff about how did this all get started? I mean, you know, the issue of colonialism, the, in the issue of in Europe, the Portuguese and then the, and then the 
the Dutch and the French and the English mixing uh, Christendom with uh, colonialism and, and thinking that was a sanctified mixture and then going out with it and conquering the world. I think we have to come to grips with the, the narrative needs to be straightened out. It yeah. needs to be straightened out. It needs to be presented accurately and truthfully and not, not out of a, yes, yeah, see, finally I got you people, but it's out of humility yeah. uh, that when you're a teacher and, and all of us here have been professors, we're all professors, everybody here. And yet we know we have students, you come in humility because they have to be willing to learn. And we realize the only authority I have in your life is what you give me. The only difference I can make in your life is what you allow me. That free will does play a role. So we, 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 we persevere to earn the respect and the openness even of our students, recognizing, as Elaine said, we learn at the same time from our students. We learn from each other. But I, I think that um, that's, a, that's a, Tom, I think that's a great question. Where do we go? Well, I, I wanted to jump in with that because uh, I, I, in these conversations that I'm having, um, I, I, another point comes up regularly. Okay, I'm a white guy. And so I'm supposed to work on my attitudes. Well, what about the destructive, sometimes self-destructive attitudes in the black community? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm, I'm becoming more bold with that to say, really, you're going to blame your holding on to your bad attitudes because of somebody else's bad attitudes? I mean, really? That's, that's where you're going with this? But I think we, because I, I, I'm concerned that I, my heart is right. I want my heart to be right. That's my concern. And I, I think it's, the influence that I have is mostly within the white community. And I hope I can influence people in the white community to rethink some things. I've got to leave it to the black community, the leaders there to work on their community. I, I can't use somebody else's bad attitudes as an excuse for mine. I can't use um, violent protests as an excuse for my bad attitudes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well put, Tom. Cause you know, I face this all the time. I, on Facebook and I get, they say, well, what about the riots that are taking place? I said, okay, what does that have to do with the fact that you enslaved us in this country? Thank and you so much, man. Thank you. Why are, why are you going that way? That's what we call in the, uh, Elaine, in the quadrilateral of yeah. evangelical. That's called repudiating. That's mm -hmm. the first step. Repudiate, repudiate, repudiate. Tom, yeah. you remember hearing that one scholar share that? Elaine gave us that clip of the guy, the professor. Yeah. But yeah. he talked about the, the quadrilateral repudiating. Instead of just owning it, that's kind of like uh, blame shifting. It's yeah. a back and forth. Yeah. It's a red herring. It's a red herring instead of saying, it's me, oh, Lord. I've sinned against you. I've got a bad attitude. And, uh, you know, it destroys marriages, even that attitude destroys marriages. We don't, we're not willing to say, you know what? Forget your attitude. Mine is lousy. And I repent of mine. And, and, and when we take that humble position, a lot of times everybody will fold them, but we have to lead with humility. And it sounds like, looks like Sterling's got a scripture for us. So 
No, I was uh, I was trying to bring myself to a point of uh, center center my thoughts. So no, uh, I did, this is more for me than for you. Okay. Well, I just want to say that um, as we get back to Elaine's uh, question, I think that uh, we have to realize that power can be very alluring. Um, it also can be very destructive. It is uh, intoxicating. And especially when you know the power you have, it can become intoxicating. And I think that's where we are. We saw the, the white lady in New York in the park and how she used her power in the wrong way because she knew what she could do. She didn't like the gentleman telling her about her dog and she used her power in a way that was destructive. Uh, knowing you had that power, and, and I think it relates to any kind of power, it's how you use it. And, and Ben, you mentioned attitude. And I think that is really important here that we come to a new uh, relationship of seeing where everybody is and we respect each other as human beings. That's all black people really wanted through this whole thing is to be respected as a person and not treated as an animal. And I think that we, um, we, we got, they didn't want us to learn, we learned to read. Didn't want us to uh, uh, own land, we own land and we cultivated and did things on our own even though our situations was not the best. And so we have not asked, and I mentioned last week, you know, we've got inventors, we've got people who become scientists in the midst of all that happened to us, all the bad things, there's been some good that come out of it. And there's some things that are happening and on all we, what was with the statement that I can't remember the gentleman's name a few years ago, we talked about racism, is that can we all just get along? Rodney <laughs> King, Rodney King. <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, we're back to that point. And uh, Lou, I don't want you not to get in here before we have to close out in a little bit. How long do we have, Dennis? Do we, are we limited to one hour? Yeah, well, we got about 15 more minutes. Yeah, okay. we, we, we say this about an hour. Well, you know, about 15 more minutes. just before Lou jumps in, Lou, because you got to have a thought too, uh, back to where Tom brought up, when, when, when I'm presented with it, well, why are they shooting each other in the ghetto and you're killing, you're killing your own people? Well, first of all, we're all fallen human beings living in a fallen world. But when you exacerbate the ghetto where there's no jobs, no planning a future, then I think the proverb said, Lord, don't give me too much or I might forget you. And don't give me too little or I might steal. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And so when you look at a planned red line community that is lacking all the resources necessary for productivity, then in our fallen state, it exacerbates the problem and things go wrong even more. But you know, whether ghetto or the boardroom, uh, with a suit on and driving a nice BMW, you can be just as evil in both places. Lou, you want to jump in there? Yeah, there was a obviously this statement, Black Lives Matter, and um, one day I just had this thought, yeah, that's true, of course, but we also need to say all Black Lives Matter. So just because those things go wrong in the ghetto doesn't make it good. And so whether, whether blacks babies are aborted or whether black on black violence or white on black violence or black on white, it, all black lives matter. And so it's got to be in our hearts because we're all made in the image of God and he loves every single one of us and every person is precious. Uh, I have a friend who from Hungary and he was, um, 
he was sitting in a barber's chair and he'd minister in prison. And they asked him, the barber said to him, so why do you go to that prison? Those people are lost. I mean, they're, they're hopeless. And he said, because the lost coin, even though it's lost, still has value. And so it doesn't matter who we are, where we've come from, every human being has value. And we need to demonstrate that. And by God's grace, I think the only thing that's going to change all this is for God to change people's hearts. Because we all have prejudices. We all have mindsets. Most of, a lot of it just because we don't know. And we do need to listen and get to know. But, but ultimately, it's the Lord that's going to change this thing. But I believe as we trust him, we're going to see it change. That's my hope. Yes. And, you know, I was thinking about this laying in bed last night. We have the black neighborhood, we have the white neighborhood. And I think from a, from a cadre like here on Straight Talk, I think for a season it is necessary uh, for the white community to actually deal with the white community mm-hmm. and let the black community and black leaders deal with the black community. Mm-hmm. But in dealing with separate communities, but I think the reconciliation is that leaders go out from a relationship with each other to their communities, come back together, talk about that, like this, what we're doing here. If we are a committee, if we are a group of people, then some of us can go into the black community and deal with things that uh, whites do not want to bring up in the community because it won't go over well with you bringing it up. <laughs> but you know what? When I go into white neighborhoods, it's hard for me to mention white privilege. So I'll use somebody on a YouTube, white, talking about white privilege. And I say to the students, what do you all think? I, I didn't bring it up. What do, you, what do you think either? So I think <laughs> wisdom, wisdom requires that we be going away. But I think, uh, uh, um, Dennis, I think next week we ought to talk about uh, William Seymour and that revival and how major of an impact it was on America God using a black man, one-eyed black man, uh, and he 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 reached out and touched people of all different colors, and right. white submitted to his leadership, and that's something we don't see a lot of in America. We see blacks going to white leadership, but we don't see a lot of whites coming to black leadership. That's not the norm in America. So maybe with the time we should deal with that next week also but i want elaine to jump in one more time here before because i'd like her to come back next week also if she can (laughs) Uh, before you do that let me paint a a, a picture here so you have uh slaves on a plantation you have uh, the plantation owners and then then the slavers who are responsible for keeping the slaves in line Mm And so you have uh, a very harsh, harsh treatment going on of the slaves. They work from kin to kink. Um, and so uh, the slaves meet in secret. <clears throat> and, and one says that uh, I think we should go and burn the, the, the big house down. Mm. And if the, if the massa is unwilling to get out of it, then he just dies in the fire. So uh, the other group of slaves says, no, we're not gonna find another massa like the one we have now. Item one, make a note of that. Another group says, no, I think we should meet with the massa and his, and his um, overseers 
and see if we can improve life on the plantation. So they form a group and they call themselves the PIC, the Plantation Improvement Committee. Yes. So they go to the master with this concept and they say, master, we want to talk about improvements. We want to do some things. We want to make life better on the plantation for all everybody. So the master says, okay, well, that's a great idea. Make sure that we get the same amount of cotton and that uh, we have the same number of slaves in the evening as we did in the morning. So no runaway, they say, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, he calls his house slaves in and he forms another group. And he says, I want you to watch what the Plantation Improvement Committee does and then get back to me if they go outside of the regulations I've given them. So you bring advice. And he called them, he did, he called them the, the PAC, the, the Plantation Advisory Council. Now, and all they're doing, they're all working to try to make things well. And then there's this one little few guys who say, nah, this is not for me, I'm out of here. And so they, they turn him in. Nope, you're gonna run away, you're gonna get us all in trouble. And then later on, another guy comes up and he does escape. So then he sends the people out in the pack, picking the pack to try and find him and, and et cetera. Now, you can go on with the story yourself because it's just coming to me as we're talking. Listen, you cannot improve the plantation if you are a slave on the plantation trying to improve the plantation as a slave. Yes. Because unequals cannot negotiate. So <laughs> when we start talking about when we start talking about uh, what we can do in this diversity, I, I hate that word. I, I don't like that word. Diversity. Just like I don't like that word uh, integration. Uh, that, that's that's one of my least favorite words um, because none of them have any bearing on who we are and what we really are trying to do. I love the word uh, godliness, and I maintain that in order for anything to change, anything as it relates to our relationships, we have to take our eyes off of trying to change those things right now and instead pursue godliness. And if you pursue godliness, the closer you get to becoming the image of Christ, the farther you get from being the image of Satan. I, I'm done, I took more time than I thought. Uh, uh, That's okay. We should take up an offering for Sterling right now because that was good <laughs> preaching. Oh, that really was uh, a good word, Sterling, mm -hmm. a very, very, very good word. For all of us. Well, Lane, we got about five minutes left. Five so minutes. Why don't we let you well, I want to let Lane back in there. That's what I'm saying. I want to let her in for a few minutes before Absolutely. we close out. Okay, so five minutes or less. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things as someone who teaches biblical interpretation and biblical studies, biblical theology, I think one of the things that all of us can do and maybe even should do is take a look at some of the parables that Jesus that that uh, that Jesus said in the in the gospels because oftentimes his audience plays a role in those parables so for example just a real quick one we have the good samaritan everybody talks about how wonderful the samaritan is and all of that but we have the scribe that Jesus is talking to so what if the scribe is the one who is beaten on the road what if it is his peers, a priest and a Levite, that walk by? What if it is this Samaritan who is hated 
and treated as less than that comes and takes care of him. That is what Jesus is talking about in regards to loving your neighbor. What does it mean to be in a position of power and have someone who is treated as less than, who in normal life you would never speak to, never acknowledge, to have that person take you in and care for you as themselves, to risk their lives to make sure that you are okay. That's what loving your neighbor looks like. And I think if we look at different parables that Jesus said, we can see and get an idea of what he is really getting at, which is always, always, always about loving God with all that we are, and then loving other people the way God loves them and treating them with dignity and respect. Wonderful. Uh, that was great. I, th I think that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Van, about uh, talking about William Seymour, I think that'd be great to talk about from a religious standpoint, that whole period of time where we saw an event caused blacks and whites to come together. And it lasted for a few years too. So, and, and that's what I'm saying. We get these fads and they fade and they come back. I think our assignment in face in our straight talk is to make sure this doesn't become another fad. Let me quote my, my favorite scripture that you kind of mentioned of in Proverbs 30 verses seven, eight, and nine. He says, two things I ask of you, giving me neither poverty nor riches. And here's why. He said, because I might have too much and steal, or I might have, or I have too much to become ungrateful, and I'll have too little and steal. But just give me my daily bread, is what Jesus said in the prayer when he gave his disciples prayer. Give us this day my daily bread. All we're asking for is a balance. I want to thank all those Facebook viewers who are making comments and who have stayed with us during this time. I think this has been a great show. Van, thank you for inviting Elaine. I'm going to turn back over to you because you give us our, our closing benediction, and we want to do that, and we'll see you on next week. Elaine, I hope you can come back and join us. I would love to. Yes, Elaine. Uh, <laughs> uh, try to get that name correct there. But I do, we do thank you for coming on the show and I trust and hope that you'll come back uh, next week to continue this conversation. And I hope above everything else that we corporately here as a cadre will stick together because we need continuity and longevity to come from this. And I hope that kind of commitment resides in each one of our heart as we pursue godliness, as Sterling said, I mean, that must be our pursuit of godliness. I mean, I think, and, I, and I'm going to close, this is not going to be a sermon, but I think of what was God trying to convince Israel of in the Old, Old Testament? Number one, worship only God and what? Demonstrate his goodness to the world. You know, be a good model to the world. Worship only Yahweh and be a good model to the world of who God is. And I think that's what we're trying to do here. We're going to only worship the Lord, but we also want to be role models. And I think uh, Elaine, as a female, is called of God. I think you're called of God to demonstrate in a larger community what it means to walk like God in this world, in this world called America in context. So uh, we thank all of you for uh, tuning in today. We're going to be come back to you next. Uh, and if you have questions, send them to Dennis. And uh, we'll try to pick up on some of those. But I, I believe um, we're going to stay on the show after the show. We're going to stay on the 
here for that, have a little quick meeting. But I want to say to our audience, I want to bless you. And uh, let's all just look to the Lord in prayer as we close. And I said, close by saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon each one of you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each one and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen, amen, and amen. We're off live stream. And okay, um, is everybody, does everybody have a few minutes to stay with us a second to have this business meeting? We're Sterling and Tom and I and, and Dennis, we've been talking about, um, and, and just so Elaine understands, we, we, this is very serendipitous. I mean, 